following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We've been studying through the book of the letter written by James the Just, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he was writing to believers who were dispersed around in the first century. And this letter was written early. This was a letter, most think, somewhere around 48 AD. It predated many of Paul's letters. And it was one that he wrote to the church to say, folks, you can't simply say, I believe in Jesus. It's by grace that I've been saved through faith alone in Christ alone. And sit back on your easy chair kick back in the Mediterranean Rim, kick back in Rome, kick back in all of the Greek isles, and do absolutely nothing and wait for Jesus to come back. He basically said, if you really understand what has transpired in the gospel, if you understand what has happened at the cross and how that's been applied to our lives uh, in Jesus Christ to us, then we will be incredibly active people in our faith. We will live it out and work it out day by day and boldly so that the world around us will see and know those people are true followers of Jesus Christ by the manner in which they live their lives and the way in which they engage in good works. The church over the course of time battled with that. Obviously it was battling even in the first century. There's this sort of nostalgia that goes on. And we say, man, I wish I could go back to the church in Paul's day. I wish I could go back to the church in James's day. They didn't have any issues. And I say to people, have you read Corinthians? Have you read James? Obviously people had a messed up theology. They knew the truth, but the way that they applied it and worked it out, it, it got a little bit off. And one of the things that they were battling with here was this idea of faith and works. That they knew the truth of the gospel. It had been taught to them. And that's how they came to faith. That it was by Christ's work, not our work. But James makes this bold statement. And he says, you're not saved by faith alone. You're saved by works. And so many, even Martin Luther, uh, determined that that, uh, this was in conflict with Galatians and didn't want to use James. But interesting, in some of the many early uh, gatherings of the writings, sort of the early canon before the 66 books of the Bible were brought together and formalized, do you know what two letters were put together? Romans and James. Books that seemed to be in contrast with one another, but those in the early centuries and the apostles, they got it right. They knew that what Paul and what James were saying, Paul was saying, you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone, not by works of the law. James was saying, yeah, but I'd like to see your works because it's by your works that you show that your faith is not dead. That a faith with no works is not a living faith and it's not a saving faith. And so I want to see these brought together. They're two sides of the same coin. And so that's what we've been looking at. We've been saying that James is sort of the field notes for the Christian life. How we live, how we're supposed to engage, how we're supposed to go out. It has more of the how-tos for us to go out. And this is one of those that's It is a how-to, but it's much more of the undergirding of saying, folks, this is why you should be engaged in good works. This is why you should be active in your faith, because your activity in faith shows something about you. Martin Luther, the one who many thought would have opposed James, he wrote this. It was a preface to the book of Romans, but listen to these words. I think it's printed in your bulletin for you, Uh, but listen He said, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. 
It does not ask whether good works are to be done, but before the question is even asked, it has already done this, and it is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Luther was basically saying, folks, I may not uh, agree fully with James on some of the way that he coined the phrases or turned the phrases, but he would say this, faith is absolutely, in con- has to be in concert with good works. One of the early reformers, a gentleman named Philip Melanchthon, he basically he wrote this. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that remains alone. We are saved by faith alone, but it's not a faith that remains alone. And so today what we're going to look at is the fact that faith has to be active. It has to be active. And that our church then, if they're filled with individuals who believe this on an individual level, then collectively and corporately we're a body of people brought together so that we can do good works for God in the world. So if you have your Bibles, flip over with me to James chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through 26. It should be on the screen for you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And this is God's very word. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. So the first thing we're going to do is just for a moment ask that question. Is it by faith alone or is it works and faith? Is it by faith alone or works and faith? Because here are the two verses uh, that come in contrast. James 2.24 that we just read. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Some of you already have highlighted and written right next to it. Romans 3.28 where Paul wrote, A person is justified by faith and not by works of the law. They seem in direct contradiction to one another. The key turning point in this is a simple understanding of one word. And the word is justified in there. You see, in any language, be it Greek or English, words have multiple meanings. And when used in the context of a sentence, mean different things. 
And the word justified uh, that Paul is using here, Paul is saying that a person is justified. That means that they are made right before God, that their account is credited now fully with the righteousness of Christ. And it is if we've said the word justified means that it's just as if I'd never sinned, that you're justified, uh, that it is now Christ's righteousness credited to your account, that you are without sin. And it says that you are justified by faith in that. When Paul says that we're justified, he means that we cannot be made right without God except through the merits of Christ Jesus and the works of Christ Jesus. We can't make ourselves right. That's what Paul's saying, and he's highlighting it. Why was he highlighting it so strongly? Because, again, in the early church, there was a movement and a belief that basically said you're saved by your works. You're saved by your merits. Jesus did some good stuff, and we won't dismiss that fully, but you have to add to it. And some of you have bought into that. The movements within even the American evangelical churches of deep uh, fundamentalism, uh, of saying that basically, well, it's Jesus plus. One ministry that we support, Reform University Fellowship on the college campuses, it says that many of the issues that our students are facing are a misunderstanding and a misapplication of their justification. Uh, that they are trying to save themselves. Uh, that they're trying to make themselves right with God by what they do. I hear it in adults as well. That you'll come in and talk with me sometimes in your membership interviews. And you'll say something like this. Well, I know that I'm a Christian. You see, I've worked really hard to be a good Christian in my life. Uh, I know I'm right with God because I've, I've done this. And another way that you do it is, well, I know that when I sin, I have to do things. I have to add then this in. It's a very Catholic position uh, of saying maybe there's a penance that needs to happen. Maybe there's something that needs to happen on top of the work of Christ. And what Paul was saying to both us today and to those who came from Jerusalem, even those who came from James's church. If you remember in Acts when it said that leaders from the church in Jerusalem came and they saw Paul uh, and Peter there in Galatia. It says that Paul, or in Antioch, uh, that all of a sudden Peter got up. And he left the table of the Gentiles. And Paul was so upset because the men who had come from Jerusalem, they were called Judaizers. Remember when we studied Galatians and how Paul didn't have a lot of good things to say about those guys? He basically said, anybody who says that it is faith plus works that gets you saved should emasculate themselves and be cast into hell. How's that for a welcome? (laughs) Welcome to our church. Oh, that's what you believe? May you emasculate yourself and go to hell. Paul basically said, listen, you can't add anything to the work of Christ. The audacity, the arrogance, the pride that it takes to basically say, Jesus didn't do enough. I've got to do something more to finish the gap. It sounds good and humble. I'm just trying to work it out. It's really quite arrogant that there's got to be more cross for you, more work for you than what Jesus has accomplished And Paul drove that home and he hit that bell and he hit that hammer on the nail over and over and over again. That he said it's by grace, through faith, that you are saved in Christ Jesus, not by your works. And do you know what happened with people? People with fallen sinful hearts who heard that? You know what they did? Awesome! You mean I don't have to do anything to get this? And Paul would say, not a thing. You mean 
I don't have to go out and live a good life in order to earn this. Nope, it's yours free if you just believe in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in him, then his perfect righteousness is your perfect righteousness. So I can basically go out and I can live any way I want to live. I can go out tonight and get as drunk as a skunk and Jesus is going to forgive me because he died on the cross and I can claim that. Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You mean that there is so much grace that I've received that I can go out and I can do anything I want to do and I'm going to get forgiven. Paul would say, no, but you're getting really close. He would say, may it never be that you would go out and sin just as grace may abound, but you're getting close because the grace of Jesus Christ is so good and the gospel is so good and it's so unbelievable to the human heart that the natural instinct of a fallen heart is to say, man, this is awesome. I don't have to do anything. I get to kick back. I got my fire insurance. I'm going to go to heaven. I don't have to do a thing. And Paul would say, you're right, but you're wrong. And what happened in the early church is guess what people did? They didn't do anything. If they did anything at all, many of them went right over to the area of what's called license. They went out and they said, hey, I'm saved by grace alone. I can go drink. I can go cheat on my wife. I can cheat on my taxes. I can do all of these things. That's cool. I can drink underage. I can do it. It's just awesome because I got Jesus and Jesus is going to forgive me because he had to forgive me because he did it on the cross and I believe in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus, that Jesus is God and I believe that. James would have walked in and gone, who are you people? James would go, how would you make such a mockery of the work of Jesus Christ that you think that what you've been given for free that cost you absolutely nothing has no bearing on your life whatsoever? And James would have written, and he did. A person is justified by works, not by faith alone. He took the word justified, and he basically said this. He said, a person's faith is proved. When someone says, hey, I've got a million dollars in the bank, you can look at them and you can go, justify that statement. Well, then you better show your bank account to them. That's what James is challenging to. Justify to me, prove to me the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. I need to see it. And the way that it is shown and borne out in your life is that you are active in good works. That you are busy in the economy of God's kingdom. That you look to the one who is the king. You look to the one who has fully saved us in Christ. And you say, okay, now, what are my marching orders? What do you want me to do? Because I've given this, been given this for free, because this is all based on Christ alone and not on me, and I get it, and I've received it, and I believe it, and it is credited to me as righteousness. Now, what do I need to do? Go and feed the poor. Honor the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Have no other idols before me. Don't take my name lightly in vain. Honor one day out of seven to be a Sabbath rest for you. Honor your father and mother so that it will be good and well with you. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't abuse one another in those ways. That's how I will know that what you say you believe actually works its way out in your life. So Paul and James were saying the very same thing. Earlier we talked about James saying, it is the law of life that's been implanted in your heart that's bearing fruit now in your life. He's saying, you see, it's by what's been implanted in you that bears it out, but it's got to bear it out. As one pastor friend of mine said, the Christian church suffers from the sponge problem, that we're like sponges. We sit, we soak, and we sour. Go home today and smell your kitchen sponge. Yeah, it's that. Ugh. Well, that's what a lot of Christians are like. 
You've sat in the church. You've been under good teaching and faithful teaching in this church for years with Clint Ilderton. We try to faithfully promote the gospel since my ministry here. And you hear it. And you sit and you take your notes and you're just soaking it in. And it's awesome. And you're going, this is so good. And you know what? Unless you're being squeezed and it's working its way out, you just sour. You just sour. What James is saying is, folks, get busy. Don't just tell me that you love Jesus. Show me that you love Jesus. Husbands and wives, put it in your context. Husbands showing that they love their wife by simply saying, oh, I love you, baby. Well, wives, how's that work? Is that enough? No, of course not. It's not enough. Husbands, by the way, that's not enough. (laughs) I know you're a little slow and a little thick uh, on some of these things. It's not enough. But we have to do more. We have to show our love by what? Honoring our vows to them. Caring for them, providing for them. Wives, back to husbands in the same way. Children to parents. Oh, mom and dad, I love you. I love you. Really? So is that why you disobey me at every turn? Is that why you disrespect the house rules all the time? Because of your love for me? Because what I see is the actions that are happening in your life are actually arguing against the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's all James is saying here. In any reasonable relationship, the works will show and will justify the action or the words of the person. So as Melanchthon said, we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. So first, how do you know that you have a faith that is alive? He said, you don't want to have a dead faith, so how do you know that you have a faith that's alive? Let me start with a caution, and it is a chilling caution, by the way. It was one of those cautions where if this was read in the church, everybody probably went, ooh. And it comes in verses 18 to 20. And here's the caution. But some will say, we have faith and I have works. You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And they go, okay, well, what's your faith? Well, I believe that God is one. James said, if you say that, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The first caution is this. Sound doctrine is not enough. Good orthodox theology is not enough to say that you have alive and good works. Many of us hang our hat on that. The Presbyterian tradition hangs its hat on being what used to be called people of the book. That we knew the Bible, we knew the Word, we knew our theology. I was on Facebook the other day, and and I'm listening to a friend of mine who's a pastor in another state, and it's this long 72-person thread that eventually ended up in a discussion about beer, interestingly enough, but it started out about legalism. I was like, that's an odd way to end the conversation, but in the middle of it, they were arguing all these fine points of theology, and they were banging on these things. And they were just going on it. And all of this stuff. And part of me wanted to go, I've been to your churches. You preach a good word. You talk a good word. Your people know their catechism. They know all their stuff. And they are dead because they don't care for the people who are in their communities. They don't care for the lost. They don't care for the orphan. They don't care for the widow. They don't do any good works. And what James is saying here is simply this. Be careful. Just because you believe in God, don't think that's enough. Guess who else believes in God? He said the demons do. 
They trained in a better seminary than you ever could train in. They were in heaven itself. They were in the presence of God. They knew God intimately, and yet they still rejected him. But they knew this much about God. In him, I know this much. I shudder. I'm afraid of him. I'm terrified of his judgment. His presence causes me to get very, very uncomfortable. And some of you, that's about where it goes for you. You have a great theology and you're terrified of hell. But James would say that is not enough. Even the demons believe that much and are afraid of hell. But they still aren't believers. So what do you believe? It's important. Is it important for us to have a strong theology? Absolutely, yes. Is it important for us to know it? By the way, 9 o'clock this morning, all of your officers were over in in the Sunday school class studying theology. They've been doing it for the last eight weeks on Sunday nights, and now they're doing it on Sunday mornings for a few more weeks because we need to know what we believe. We need to articulate it well. We need to know these things, but it is not enough to have it right here. How many of you would say, hey, I got it here. It's just hard to get it here. That 18 inches or 12 inches or whatever it may be is the hardest distance to fall or to travel. And what James is saying, be careful. Demons have sound doctrine. And demons have a very reasoned fear of God, but that doesn't make them believers. And if that's all you have, this is what he calls you. I'm not, so don't get upset with me. Get upset with James. He says this, verse 20, you foolish person. Only a fool would believe that. Only a fool would believe that, hey, I got my fire insurance and I'm kicking back and it doesn't matter what I do. Hey, I'm afraid of God. I was a fool in college. I've shared with you before my prayers on Thursdays. God, forgive me for everything I'm going to do this week. I had a good theology I knew about God, and I was afraid of God's judgment. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, God, please, if I'm out at the fraternity house, and if I'm out doing something stupid with my girlfriend, or I'm out driving like an idiot, and I die, please, please, please take me to heaven. Because I don't want to go to hell. I shuddered in the presence of God, and I had a good theology of God, but I was not a follower of God's. It was nothing more than intellect. Be careful if that's where it is for you, is what James is saying. Don't let it stop in the head. Do everything you have to do to press it down and to work. He says even the demons do. He said, but the current encouragement is this. That's the caution. Don't let it stop over here. The encouragement comes in this way, verses 14 through 17. What you will see if you want to know whether you have good works is, is it important to have a good theology? Of course. Is it important to have a reasoned fear of God in the presence of God and to shudder when you think about it in front of God? Of course, those are necessary, but the bare minimum But they have to move on. Verses 14 to 17 say, the encouragement is this. If you want to know if you have a living, careful, life-giving faith in Jesus Christ, you'll have a compassion for other people. Verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What you will find in your life, if you have a faith that is a living faith, is a faith in Christ, it will be a faith that has a compassion and encouragement to other people. That you see somebody in need and you don't just tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, heaven's waiting for you. 
hey, this is good, that you actually are moved and stirred within your heart to enter into their mess. You're encouraged to enter into their chaos. I've used this example before, but it it just struck me so strongly years ago. Jesus went to the blind man, and he walked up to the blind man, and you remember the question he asked the blind man? What do you want from me? What a stupid question. What do you think the blind man from birth wanted from the Savior of the universe who he heard could go around and raise dead people and make lame people dance and give speech to those who couldn't speak and sight to the blind? What do you think the blind man wanted? He wanted his sight. Why do you think Jesus asked? I think Jesus asked to teach us something. To teach us to say this. If you get the gospel, you will ask questions that are open-ended and invite you into areas that you can't control. Could Jesus control what that man was going to respond? If you see a person who's homeless, helpless, a person who's despondent, a person who's walking through financial ruin, a a person who's gotten himself in a difficult relationship, whatever the case is, and you come to that person and you look at them and you say, what do you need from me? What have you just opened yourself up to? I need a place to stay because my husband's beating me. I need a place for my children to be safe at night without fear. I'm hungry. I I can't read, and I need to be able to read. I'm new to your country, and I can't speak English and read English, and it's keeping me from being able to get a job and provide for my family that I couldn't do in Mexico or in South America or in China or wherever I come from. Would you enter into my chaos? Would you enter into my world? And care for me. The person who has faith without works would say, Jesus loves you. You got heaven hanging out there for you. You can make it. Just hold on. You want to know by the Marx did what Marx did? In part uh, in the Communist Manifesto. Because what he saw was a church of privileged people who had theology. And they had no works. And they said to the poor of Russia... You get heaven one day. Suck it up in this life. James would have gone, no. You would look and you would say to that brother or sister who's in need, how can I help you? You know what that takes? That takes time. That takes humility to think, one, that you're not better than that person. You don't condescend to that person, but you enter in and say, man, I was a person just like you. I was in desperate need, and Jesus Christ entered into my chaos. Jesus didn't stand outside of my chaos. He entered right into the middle of my chaos to redeem my chaos and to be there and to show me love in the middle of it. He came in and incarnated himself into my world. He incarnated himself into my poverty, into my homelessness, into my desperation. He came there and lived it. And that's what James is saying. Hey, folks, I don't know what was going on in this church, but I promise you this, they didn't have a very active ministry going on outside the church. And that's what James was saying. You're not known in your community as a church that would be missed. We've said that about our church. We want to be a church that if we close these doors, our community would miss us. Our community would go, where did that church go that had all those people who loved Jesus and worked it out and they challenged us and they suffered and they gave and they did these things? Where are those people? Where'd they go? Right now, a lot of Christians would miss us. Man, I liked that church. Matt was pretty cool with the music. And, well, we had some decent preaching. And the children's ministry was fun. That was kind of nice. 
But would the world around us miss us? I'm not so sure, but I want to be missed. That's what James was saying. You have compassion for other people. And then he gives another very interesting example. He said, one of the ways that you know that your faith is working its way out is that you have compassion and care for other people. And the other is that you have a boldness in your life of faith. Verse 25. He gives this really interesting example of Rahab, the prostitute. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. The story, just to give you a quick uh, on this, Rahab was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. Jericho was a city that was a pagan city, and God said that to uh, Joshua, you're going to destroy that city, and they sent in spies to kind of spy out the city and figure out how they were going to attack the city and get it taken care of, and they snuck into the city, and they needed to get out, and Rahab, who was a, I don't know, a Jerichoite, a Jerichoian, I, I don't know what that would be, but she was a woman who was from Jericho, and she took these men in who were spies who were from a conquering people, who were the enemy outside the gate, she let them in, and then she let them out because she believed in their God. She knew who they were, and she knew their God, and she acted boldly. You know what she risked by doing that? How do you think the civil government of Jericho would have been? Go, hey, who let these spies in? More or less, who let them out? Oh, I did. Oh, that was so nice of you to show care and concern for them. That's good. We just want to give you the citizen of the year for Jericho, right? She would have been killed. She acted with boldness based on her faith. She put herself in harm's way for her faith. Our church, this church, the church larger, needs to be bold in our claiming of the faith that we believe. To stand up for what we believe. Say, we believe this and this is how I'm going to live. This is where I go and this is where I won't go. I'm the father of teenagers, and I watch it lived out so often in the teenage and the college world. I'm a former college and singles pastor, and I see it so desperately on the campuses for our children and for students. They need a boldness to say that I believe in God so much that I don't just shudder, and I don't just have a good theology. I'm willing to walk it out. I'm willing to live it and walk it out, to be bold in that way. Some of you men need to get that in your boldness in the manner in which you love your wives and your families. That it's not okay to window shop, by the way. Hey, Bill, I ain't buying. I'm just looking. Nothing wrong with looking. Be bold with your friends and go, you know what? That doesn't honor my wife and that doesn't honor my God and I'm not going to participate in that. And wives, sometimes women, sometimes there's, and I'm not doing this. You can again go to the scriptures. It says there's this issue with gossip. Sometimes it happens within women, sometimes more than men. Well, you know what a Christian godly woman who believes and has faith in Jesus Christ should do? I'm not going to be a part of that. What do you mean you're not going to be a part of that? This is a good one. Haven't you heard about the Joneses? And if there are Joneses here, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Haven't you heard about the McCutcheons? Don't you know what's going on? Well, no, but I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. You're going to be bold. You're going to make a stand. And for some, it may be an ultimate stand. When I see the picture of that beautiful Sudanese sister in Christ, I think, wow, she is standing for what she believes, even in the face of certain death. That's awesome, isn't it? We shouldn't have pity on her. We should applaud her. We should pray for her, but we should applaud her 
for her boldness in standing for Jesus Christ. So if you want to know that your faith is a living faith and it's alive, it will be a compassionate faith and it will be a bold faith in your life. Things that maybe we can do more of in our church. So the final thing that I want you to know about this living faith, that this faith that you have that is not apart from works, it is a faith that basically says... God is sufficient for me, not what God can do for me. God is sufficient for me, not what I get from God. And I don't have time to go into it fully, but look at verses 21 to 23. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Basically the story in a nutshell was this. Abraham, who couldn't have a son, finally had a son. And in that day and age, a son, an heir, a male firstborn heir was so key. And he doted on that boy. Can you imagine? That kid was the kid. And God said, I want you to take him. I want you to take him to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham went and faithfully, believing God, went and he raised the knife. Why? What gave him the ability to raise the knife and to go and to kill his own son? Because what he said was, God, you're more important than my son. My faith in you supersedes what I can see right here. And I know that if you've given me one son, you can give me more sons. And you will be faithful to your promises. And I know that you are God and I will do whatever you call me to do. Because it's not about what you give me. It's not about what I get from you. It's you. It's just you that I want. And that is hard for us sometimes. When is your faith most shaken? When the things that you think that you deserve are taken from you. I deserve a good family. I deserve a good job. I deserve good health. I deserve this. And then cancer comes. And adultery comes. Or pornography comes. Or bankruptcy comes. Or whatever comes. And all of a sudden our faith is wrecked. And we wonder if we even believe in a good God because this thing has been taken away. And we've said before, remember, sometimes Jesus has to come in and turn over our tables. He has to come in and say, do you really want me or you just want the stuff that I give you? And here's the end of what Abraham said. God, you're enough. You're enough. I got you. Take Isaac. I don't know why you want to take him, but I don't question you in that. If you want an active, living faith, constantly come back to a God who is enough for you. We'll end with this. God said to you, I have a son. I have one and only son. And I am so willing to love you without bounds that I will lift my knife against him and I will pierce him and I will sacrifice him so that I can show you my love. And I promise you, if I'm willing to do that for you, if I'm willing to give you my son, my one and only son, how much more will I do for you? Will you just believe me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me today and go out and serve? Be taken advantage of. Be abused. Even lose your life. But I promise you, 
I will care for you. So, caveat. I think I promised you I'm stopping like three times. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't go sign up for all the good stuff that we have going on around here. Oh, man, i got to go find some poor people. Got to go give away some money. Got to go feed some people who are hungry. Got to go clothe some naked people. Got to go evangelize all these people. Got to learn a different language. Got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. Don't go get busy. Let God work in you. Consider first. And ask the question, why have I not already signed up? Why haven't I gone and shared the gospel with them? Why haven't I gone with the Kairos ministry, seeing George sitting over there? Why haven't I gone and wanted to share my faith with prisoners? Maybe I have a deep prejudice against them. Why haven't I cared for those who are impoverished? Maybe God needs to do a little work in me and I need to see the cross better. Take time first to let God do a work in you and let him root out because then if you don't, all you're doing is you're slapping band-aids on the outside. All you're doing is dealing with with the symptoms and not the heart. Go look at a cross that says, my son worked on your behalf. And he continues to work on your behalf. And let that get in there and work around a little bit. And then guess what's going to happen? It will be spontaneous. And you know who you won't wait for? You will not wait for me to create a program for you. You will simply inform me, Bill, God has placed on my heart to go care for people over at the Boys and Girls Club. Bill, God has placed on my heart that I'm learning Spanish because I want to be able to share uh, with some friends of mine who speak Spanish. Bill, God has given me a heart to bake cookies to give to these people. God has, I had one friend here, he's not here this week. He said, Bill, guess what I did this week? I bought a cooker that I'm going to pull around behind my truck and I'm going to go into some of these uh, areas uh, that people who need food and I'm going to cook food and I'm going to distribute it for them on Saturdays. Isn't that awesome? Like, yeah. He said, would you like to be a part of that? I was like, heck yeah, man. I want to be a part of that because when it starts to cook inside, you're not just filling slots on our needs in ministry. You are going out and you are mobilizing, and that's what I hope our church does all around this area. And then people see you. They go, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because Jesus Christ did it for me. Well, where do you go to church? I go to Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. Oh, I want to get into that program. It ain't a program. This is just me going. So hit the pause button for a second before you go sign up for everything. Quite honestly, we don't have anything for you to sign up for. Sad, but we don't. So what we need is God just to do some work in you. And then I'm estimating 340-some people. If I'm a good pastor, I'd estimate 720 uh, that are here uh, today. If God mobilized this group, if he mobilized you with a passion in your heart and a compassion for those who are around you and a boldness in your life, this island and Bluffton would never be the same because this church exists. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us in our impoverished state. Thank you that you were willing to boldly take on Satan himself. Thank you that you were willing to sacrifice yourself ultimately for us. Would that so work in our hearts that we're forever changed and that our eyes and our hearts and our minds would be so changed that we would love those who need love and that we wouldn't just tell them we love them, we show them our love. We care for them. And with boldness, we stand for those who have no voice in our society, 
with boldness. We stand for those who have been relegated to the edges. We stand for Christ in our schools and in our homes and in our businesses. We stand for Christ. And then we look up and maybe in a weary state of giving it all out, we see Christ who says, come to me all you who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. And we find our strength in you and we go right back out. God, thank you for Christ and for his good work on our behalf. To him be all the glory. Amen.